You are listening to history right now. I'm beyond thrilled and grateful to tell you where we're at. We're recording a podcast, the first podcast ever recorded live at a caucus in Iowa, a super caucus, three precincts in one at Thomas Jefferson High School in Council Bluffs. I'm here with a close advisor and aide to Governor Ron DeSantis. under the ideal weather conditions, I can say that, just getting there, driving down Dodge, getting off the expressway portion near 90th, the entire right lane for a long way was just purely a sheet of ice. No one was even driving on it. Getting past 90th, between 90th and Dundee, I've never seen just abandoned vehicles in the middle of the road off to the side and everybody getting around it. Where the Best Buy was over near Crossroads, there were two cars going north on Dodge. It's, I don't know, stuck in the median or if they'd had an accident or if they weren't in there. It was like driving in Tijuana or something where you're just putting the blinders on. You're not taking in anything happening other than getting past it and moving forward. Getting over to Council Bluffs, very few cars on the road. I had never been to Thomas Jefferson High School before. That's at about 25th and Broadway, so not too far over there. I had no idea what to expect. As I approached, there was only DeSantis signs visible in the perimeter. There wasn't anyone out. Found the parking lot. There weren't a ton of cars there. The thing started at 7. I got there about 6.30. So you go into a nice high school, I have to say into kind of a big commons area. And this was, a, I think they call it a super precinct site. There's three different ones in one. So this was Council Bluffs Precinct 01, 02, and 03. And people were checking in. There was media there from the three Omaha television stations. There were a couple national people there, photographers. So that was interesting. A lot of people milling about. Then they made an announcement that you're to sit in your precinct zone. And they explained where that was. They had two DeSantis precinct captains were there in orange hats. The Trump precinct captain, there was one man there in the white and gold hat and i talked to them there apparently isn't a lot of responsibility or much they really have to do but they get the hat and they answer questions and whatever there was one make america great again red hat and that was it it was hard to discern just by looking at the crowd who might have an advantage some people and everybody's in winter coats of course too a couple people had desantis gear on a couple people had trump gear on the precinct captains told me they had no idea what to expect or who was going to win or whatever. And I have to say, the crowd skewed old. I did not see a lot of young people there. I was expecting maybe that Ron Paul, younger, maybe who's with Vivek now, that type of dude. Maybe there were a few. I did not see them. I did not encounter them. So it skewed older. I did not see a lot of people in their 20s, maybe a few in their 30s. And up from there, just that these people got out, you have to respect. 
Everyone was perfectly cordial and perfectly friendly. I went table to table as best I could. I did not meet one person who was supporting Nikki Haley there. A couple of the DeSantis folks were a little more hesitant to support the former president than I was expecting. The Trump supporters, I did not hear anything that you haven't heard before to add to why they were there. But if this was the Trump restoration, it was not overwhelming. It was not Trump rally-like or anything like that. The people were mingling. The precinct captains were talking. I was kind of expecting, you know, were were they going to be in one corner and the other corner and like different gangs or something? It was not like that at all. The Pledge of Allegiance was said, started promptly right at seven. They went through a kind of a roll call, for lack of a better term, and asked if anyone wanted to speak on the candidate's behalf. Chris Christie was offered to. He was on the ballot, though he's out of the race, so no one wanted to speak for him. I consider myself a politics junkie. I follow it closely and always have and love the game. There was a candidate named Ryan Binkley who I've never heard of in my life, and he ended up getting more votes tonight than like Asa Hutchinson. Think about that. The man was a governor all this stuff and you do all this and Ryan Binkley who I just in googling was a pastor and has a bit more of a religious case no one spoke for him no one spoke for Haley or Vivek the Trump precinct captain I would say maybe not reluctantly but it did not appear to be prepared did speak for Trump and I don't think he said 10 words it was like I'm going to keep it simple America first round of applause DeSantis had people there, and we got to speak to one of them, Dylan Fisher, who will be coming on. He's the director of the governor's Faith and Community Initiative office. Some of the remarks he makes in the interview will give you the gist of what he said to the crowd. And I thought it looked like there were about 100 people. I wrote in my notes, I found out there were 94 votes cast. At 725, 65 went to Trump when he tallied up the three precincts. And 14 went to Ron DeSantis. So, and that was it. I don't want to say it was an anti-climax. Seeing democracy in action was cool. There was no grand, anyone super disappointed or really elated or jubilant. It was a kind of a resigned acceptance and it was it. And maybe that's to do with the cold. I have no context on previous caucuses. I guess they've changed it from how it used to be where there was the plurality and you had to have X amount and there'd be second, third, and fourth ballots and you had these passionate speeches. I wanted to see that. I knew it had changed since they used to do that, but not as much fun, frankly. And everyone was perfectly nice, but that was what it was. Coming back, which it was about 8.15, I crossed over the river, not another car on the bridge, got off to come up Dodge. They have never seen it like this. I did not see another car. This is now exiting Broadway and Council Bluffs, crossing the bridge. All through downtown, did not see another car out driving. There was a unhinged, I, I don't know what the proper terminology is anymore, I'll say crazy person with a huge thing of plywood about, I'd say, 16th or 17th off Dodge, just hoisting it up in the air and then throwing it down the street. 
I ran a red light to not have to stop near him and just continued on. Did not see another car out until about, oh, 60th and Dodge at 8.15. There was a second unhinged person outside Page Turner's Lounge in Dundee who was like lunging at my car and other parked cars in the middle of the street. It's apocalyptic. <laughs> it's insane. Strange. Was a little traffic as I got to 72nd, but long time, if ever, that I've seen it like that. That is what I saw tonight. So we'll go now to the interview. And again, historic. First and only podcast ever recorded live at a actual caucus as it was going. This is Dylan Fisher. For the last five years now, had the privilege and honor of working in the governor's administration in Florida and currently serve as the director of the governor's faith and community initiative office. And what's the temperature in Tallahassee about right now? <laughs> oh gosh, I know that it's been dropping a little bit, but I know that when I left the state to come up here, it was about 70 degrees. Wow. Uh, so a little bit of a temperature swing coming up to Iowa, but what a privilege. And there's a lot of Floridians, including uh, folks like myself, that have found a way to get up to Iowa just because we believe in the governor. We know that he's the right guy to lead this nation, and it's a privilege to work under his leadership. Had you been to Iowa before this for the campaign at all or at ever in your life? It, this will be my first caucus. This will be my first visit to Iowa, which also means it's my first visit to Council Council Bluffs. Yes. Now, I'm familiar with the Midwest. Okay. I spent a lot of time in Kansas City, but this is my first time in the great state of Iowa. I'm from Omaha, so we consider Council Bluffs a little brother, but great over here. So tell us your experience. When did you get here? What were you prepared for? What was the strategy? I will say I was there. You were the only campaign that had a, a designated speaker show up. The Trump precinct captain did, I think, decide to speak. Mm -hmm. That didn't seem planned to me, but you gave a prepared speech. How did you prepare for that? What was your thought coming into it? What did you want to achieve? The, the speech and the work is very simple. Having had the ability and the honor to be able to work in the administration for five years, what the governor has done is no secret, and we've been able to see it from ground level from day one, and that's an easy message to translate. And it's an easy message that, that translates to the rest of the country as well. The, the hope that we have for our country, uh, the fact that we might be going in the wrong direction, but decline is a choice. And so we can choose revival, we can choose restoration, and we can choose the great American comeback. And what did you make of the experience tonight, speaking to the, a pretty good crowd of three precincts here at the high school? Yeah. Uh, how, how did you feel it went over? As always, it's one of the fastest three minutes that you'll ever have. <laughs> yeah. But Iowa, kicking off the presidential preference elections for each state, it has its own special place in American elections. And on top of that, just the unique nature under which they're conducted, it, it was just a treat, right? As someone who cares very much about who the next leader of our country is and cares very much about Governor DeSantis and his success. Man, what a privilege to be here and to enjoy the environment and to enjoy the the nuances and enjoy just the culture and the experience. Where do you go from here after this? Heading back over to Des Moines. Okay. Uh, there's going to be a election party over in Des Moines and a lot of the supporters for Governor DeSantis are going to be gathering and so look forward to seeing not only people who have been supporting the DeSantis family but also colleagues that I get to work with every day in Florida. Yeah. And tell us something about the governor that we don't know. Tell us maybe something that hasn't been out in the public domain that you've witnessed maybe behind the scenes. Sure. I think that especially Iowa voters, since the amount of time that the family has spent in the state and in this area of the country, get it. But I think they've been able to see that 
who the governor is is really who he is. There's not version one and version two. There is husband, father, leader, governor in that order. And the dedication that he has to his family, the dedication that he has to his faith, those things are not manufactured. They are not diluted. They are which is what you get. And that's part of why you see so many people that are willing to be up here from Florida because they see it from uh, ground level and behind the scenes of which is what you get with, with the governor. It's just a privilege to serve such an incredible family in that sense. And then how much do you have any idea how many people came up from Florida? We've heard there's been a million door knocks and that type of thing. But any just on staff, staffers that have come up for this event? You know, I don't have a specific figure, number. but uh, anecdotally, you're talking about dozens and dozens of people from the administration or connected or just even in Tallahassee that have made the trek up to Iowa and all the different corners. And I think that speaks volumes, right? I really truly think about it. One of the greatest tests are the people who know you best. And I don't certainly pretend to be on the inside of that family, but I can tell you that the people that are around him, the people that get to work for him, that rubs off. And what's happening in Florida is special. And we just want that for the rest of our country. The number one thing that we hear from the ground and from Floridians is, man, we love our governor. We just don't want to lose him. And say, number one, that's not the first time I've heard that. And number two, man, if you like what's going on in Florida, how much more would you love to have that be in the White House? How much more would you love to have that in the United States of America, to have a commander-in-chief, and have a president of principle, of virtue, of character, who's just going to get stuff done? And moreover, I think particularly from our side of the house and in the faith and community world, my goodness, what an opportunity to have a president and a commander-in-chief and a leader that we know is submitted under the authority of God. And what are you most proud of in the work that you've done for the governor? Is there a particular initiative or something in your own personal day job that really sticks out? Absolutely. Certainly the, the governor's accomplishments in the state are across the board, specifically in the area of faith and community. I just, in this, with all due respect, I just don't know that anybody's even close to where the state of Florida has been in valuing, equipping, supporting, encouraging the churches and the faith institutions and the faith networks of our state. We've got 20,000 faith institutions in Florida, and the vision of the governor from day one is to say, we know that we can do better, and it's not about how a, a greater, grander government can solve the issues of a community. It's how government can get out of the way and pave the way for the church and for the faith institutions and the faith networks to do what they already do best. And it has been an honor to see that happen and, and to be a part of that in a very small way. You're not even in a heavy coat. The man's just in an Eddie <laughs> Bauer pullover. You, you are a man. I, well, gotta... I, I promise you, once I get outside, the coat's going to come on. But for now... It's we're doing just all right. It's ridiculous. I mean, what do you make of it? Are your friends thinking you're crazy coming up here? Or oh, absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> when, family. Now, when the wind's blowing, and you got a wind chill of, of nearing minus 30 degrees. Yes, it's ridiculous. I, out just right to now. put it in perspective, that is a 100 degree swing That's from about 70-ish degrees down to negative 30. The feels like, but again, I don't want to sound like a broken record or cheapen or dilute the sincerity of what we really believe and that's we are a hundred percent okay with that yeah we, we'd go we'd do another hundred degree swing every day of the week and twice on sunday because we believe our country's worth it we believe the cause and the fight are worth it 
and we think that he's the right guy and we're willing to do that. Anything funny from the trail or that's happened that you would tell friends or family about the experience other than just the weather or? Oh gosh, <laughs> I just think the funny nature of having all these Floridians try and find all their heavy coats. I think there's a lot of people who made some trips to uh, Dick's Sporting Goods or Academy Outdoors. Say, <laughs> do you even have a winter coat? I, I'm grateful I've got a fantastic family uh, that is primarily in the Kansas City area. Right. So I have the blessing of having a couple of coats that were already in my closet, but I was certainly extending the outer limits of what I had in my wardrobe to be able to make this happen. That's right. Really appreciate your time, safe travels, yeah. and we'll see how it all shakes out. You've just listened to the first podcast ever recorded live at a caucus in Iowa with Dylan Fisher, aide to Governor Ron DeSantis. Thanks for coming on Omapod. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye.